Welcome in Memphis Grizzly fans and NBA fans all around. This is Elijah Campbell and you are listening to the Grizz and Grind podcast on the Hoop Heads Podcast Network. Hoopheads Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Grizz and Grind with Elijah Campbell. Be sure to check out these other basketball pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and our other two team-focused NBA pods, Cavaliers Central and Nuck if you buck. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing and my co-host Jason Sunkel, featuring some of the best minds in the game from grassroots to the NBA. Welcome in Grizzlies fans to another edition of the Grizz in Grind podcast here on the Hoopheads Podcast Network. It's your boy Elijah Campbell hosting another episode and today we are going to dive deep into the NBA draft talk about the Memphis Grizzlies and their two rookies that finished on the all-rookie team. First team, by the way, first time it's happened in quite a long time. And here today to talk with me about that from Athens, Georgia, Bailey Caldwell of Grizz Lead or at Grizz underscore lead on Twitter. It's an interesting page. It was interesting enough for, for me to see it and be attracted to uh, this perspective to bring him on. So Bailey, go ahead and introduce yourself. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me around. Um, as you said, my name is Bailey. I'm from Athens, Georgia. Just graduated University of Georgia. Started at the lead back in December. Made our page in March. Have tried to, you know, establish it as a good follow in Grizzlies Twitter, which is a very limited Twitter from what I've seen so far. Very niche. It, it is very niche NBA Twitter. Um, I feel like it's growing though. It's it's a really fun small internet Twitter community, and a lot of that has had to do with how the the team is in the NBA. It, it's kind of a, a microcosm of like where the franchise is. Young, exciting, a growing fan base for a team that has a very, very bright future. And that's where I kind of wanted to start the show off today. And that is, you know, this week, the all-rookie teams were announced. And shocker to no one, rookie of the year, John Morant, is on that first team. But joining him was 18th pick overall in the draft, Brandon Clark from Gonzaga. Brandon Clark, who I thought got robbed of being a finalist for Rookie of the Year. I thought he was a more valuable player to his team than Kendrick Nunn was. Um, And honestly, he was just as efficient as Zion Williamson was as a rookie this season. And which is funny because I thought the same thing coming into the draft this past summer, where Brandon Clark analytically measured up almost close to Zion in a lot of different metrics. But nonetheless separated by 17 uh, picks each. Bailey, when you saw the news and you were able to see that, you know, Brandon Clark also got NBA uh, or all rookie first team, rather, what was your first initial reaction? And what did you take from those, the seasons that those two guys had? Cause they were pretty different when you, uh, when you go back and look at it. Absolutely. I was very happy to see them both on the first team. I also agree with you that Brandon Clark should have been, a top three rookie of the year finalist. Mm-hmm. Host. For, right. Um, I definitely think he should have done I mean, historical efficiency. I think he was the first player to shoot 60-40 with a certain amount of three-point attempts or something like that. It's some crazy mm-hmm. stat. But 
But yeah, I was I'm very excited. First time the Grizz have had two rookies make first team since Powell and Shane Battier. So Ooh. that was pretty cool. Been yeah. quite some time. Uh, but like you said, they had different rookie years. I think Brandon Clark went heavily overlooked in the draft. I remember one of my favorite NBA Twitter followers, Nikias Duncan, talking heavily about Brandon Clark and how he's going to fall, but he's going to make a huge impact. He's a defensive Swiss Army knife. He's a huge athlete. Like, uh, just raving about him, and he just, just fell to the Grizzlies on our lap. Yeah, luckily. But, right. Um, one of the... This might have been the luckiest draft in Grizzlies history, for what it's worth. But to get Ja, who, as you mentioned, is just a stud, uh, really ahead of his class, maturity-wise, just leading the team, coming in and taking those reins, and establishing himself as that alpha for the next, you know, hopefully 10-plus years is going to be fun to watch. But he definitely came in, took it by storm. I mean, you remember that third game against the Nets and Kyrie? Everybody talks about how he was just NBA ready off jump. Um, had a very, to me, very minor slump later in the year. But, you know, to me, it looked more from tired legs and, you know, just the long season that is at play. But he come in and established himself, and he was ready. But then Brandon Clark, again, came in just as ready as he was and kind of caught people off guard with our bench unit. Just making plays, bringing his energy every night. He, to me, he caught me off guard with how well he transitioned physically. I knew he was elite vertical athlete, but positioning himself for rebounds, getting put backs, pick and rolls, all those things were way ahead of where I anticipated them to being a lot sooner. So, to me, that was fun to watch. Oh, it, it's incredible. It's a good good, uh, I guess, uh, view into the future of this team. And one thing that I really noticed that I liked about both of both of these players is, like, and you kind of alluded to it as well, is maturity. Uh, obviously, I think it was more expected with Brandon Clark because he's a little bit older coming into the draft, um, had some more, more tread on his tires, so to speak. But John Morant's confidence at the age of, what, 19 or 20, 21 years old is more, I, I mean, I just wish I had a third of that confidence uh, in anything. And Joe Mullinex and I talked about this a couple weeks ago here on the pod. And he really, and you alluded to it when he blocked Kyrie's shot, got the game winning assist in that game to get them their first win. Like we're three games in and this guy is already showing that he's not scared of some of the elite ball handlers and players in the NBA. And he put up a hell of a stat line that night as well. Brandon Clark, kind of has similar confidence, whereas he's really not scared of anything. And he's got the maturity of being an older guy in this draft, which is what a lot of draft experts, for me, which I find puzzling, de- or devalue. They devalue the the older college player. Whereas when you look at Gonzaga, or Gonzaga's team when Brandon Clark was there, I thought he was their best player. Rui Hachimura got all the love, got all the attention. He ended up being the lottery pick on that team. But Brandon Clark was the most efficient player in college basketball, not named Zion Williamson. Uh, I think Zion broke the college PER record, which is above 40, which he put above 40, which I want to say is like 41 or 42, which is absolutely insane. It's mind-numbing. But Brandon Clark had like the second highest PER in the history of college basketball at 37. So if it wasn't for Zion Williamson, Brandon Clark has an all-time historic efficiency scoring season in his one year at Gonzaga. So really, the fact that he fell to 18 is stunning to me. It always was stunning. And really, this is 
another props to the Grizzlies front office where they got that pick from the trade with Utah where they sent Mike Conley to the Jazz and they got that pick from them, I believe. I believe that's the, the, the same pick, but turning, you know, old assets into new ones and having it pay dividends so early is huge. But I don't know if you've noticed this too, but Brandon Clark's floater, you talked about, you know, his his physicality and, you know, his, uh, his physique translating the NBA earlier than you thought it would. Mine was his floater. That guy had an automatic floater, one of the prettiest ones in the league. And it's it's honestly part of why he is so efficient. It's You can't just drop, you know, when playing against Brandon uh, Clark and you try to defend him against the rim, but he'll kill you with that floater as well. It's one thing that I kind of always noticed with him. And I was always on the play Brandon Clark more minutes train. Yeah, he brought them a lot of great depth off the bench, but I was always wanting to see T- uh, Taylor Jenkins give Brandon Clark a little more minutes, uh, especially later on in the year when he was proving to be one of the most efficient players in the league as he finished the finished the season, 2019-2020, uh, being top five in effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage. Yep, and I think as time goes forward, Taylor Jenkins will have to play Clark more minutes, and I've seen people on Twitter, which I don't agree with this take, but some people even said, play him at the wing. Ooh, yeah. I don't, I don't agree with that. Either, yeah. A little bit of a stretch. Yeah, Love the confidence. I, a little bit of a stretch. Right. I, I see the argument. You know, he's you know quick-footed. But I think if you play him on the wing, defensively he might be okay. But I mm-hmm. think the offense would just really suffer um, yeah. dramatically. But um, I think another interesting point about Brandon Clark that ties into his floater uh, he was one of the few players with like a wingspan that's about the same height as him. There's not a major difference. I think his height was listed at six eight and a quarter, and his wingspan was the exact same. And so he has to really work on that floater to get it over the seven footers, to get it over the rim protectors, whoever it may be. And to me, that's just a tough shot. I remember hearing back in, I want to say, 2014, LeBron James is shooting floaters to get around Roy Hibbert. So you hear... To hear someone like LeBron working on floaters to see Brandon Clark come in and just have that already, that can be a trademark shot for his entire career. Oh, yeah. And so I'm looking forward to that, to see how he develops outside of that. But another thing that you mentioned um, about Brandon Clark was just playing in more minutes. And I think on the nights when he was really just feasting, like when he went off against Portland and had that career high, his efficiency maintained even when his volume went up. And I think that's what's very impressive. And I think if he works on the main takeaway from his game for me um, in the role he played was just shooting threes with a defender closer than six feet. If you look at his stats with someone less than six feet, he shoots like 44%. Mm. But if someone's within six feet, it goes down to 22. So essentially in Ooh. half. Right. So six feet is not really that far from from basketball perspective it sounds like a lot especially during these times of social distancing six feet <laughs> the standard yeah but for him like if he can get that down to where he's hitting you know with defenders closer to him it just takes his ceiling even higher and some people feel like his ceiling is very limited i don't know yeah. where they really get that of course it's true but i also think there's still room for improvement in that regard mm. And so I just, I think that's the next step is just knocking down that perimeter shot more efficiently because the athleticism's there, the hands are there, the rebounds are there, the defense is there. I think if he does that, he really just solidifies his entire game to be a Grizzly for a long time. 
and it can help them for a long time too. And and one of my things is when, especially when we start talking the draft, and we're going to get into some of these prospects here in just a minute, is the the talking about people's ceilings, especially like when it comes to Brandon Clark. Well, will Brandon Clark ever be a first team All NBA player? I doubt it. But you need someone like a Brandon Clark to win basketball games. You need him for depth purposes. I mean, right. there's there's so much good that Brandon Clark does for you especially when you play him a ton of minutes. I mean, he is a type of role player that you can get at 18 or the the spot where the Grizzlies got him in the draft that will win you games. And in the future, when you can win you playoff series. I mean, you definitely right. need those. I mean, ask the Clips. I know they fresh off a loss last night in one of the most atrocious collapses and most inexcusable collapses in NBA history. But Montrez Harrell, was kind of the same way. There was some parallels into how they were viewed coming out. Him and Brandon Clark were viewed coming out of college. But right. you need those guys to give you depth and to give you some versatility. I like the term you used earlier here in the show where you said he was a defensive Swiss Army knife. Incredibly versatile. Uh, versatile, smart. And my favorite thing about him, too, is in today's era of the NBA, which is pick and roll heavy, you got to be able to finish around the rim and you got to be able to make yourself non-one-dimensional as a roller. You can't just be roll to the rim, hard roll all the time. You're going to be a lot easier to guard if your scouting report says he's rolling to the rim and he's going to the rim and rim only. Brandon Clark's floater allows him to mix it up and be able to add different shots in his arsenal, if you will, to make defenses kind of have to respect him a little bit. And if he can work on his passing on the roll, kind of like what Demonis Sabonis and Nikola Jokic do really, really well, is if they catch the ball on a roll, they're able to, on the move, find corner three-point shooters, guys on the wing, find cutters if they're cutting well along the baseline. You're able to open up an entire offense, and it's not just... and, and, And like Mitchell Robinson's the other side of that. Love Mitchell Robinson, but he's a screener, roller to the rim, and he's 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 dunking. You know, every yep. time he is not pulling up for a floater, he is not looking to find someone on the wings or along the baseline. I think Brandon Clark is two thirds of the way there of being that elite type of roller, not just to score the ball, but to be able to help Ja Morant in those pick and roll situations find open shooters and create other shots. And you know, speaking about the pick and roll game, I think he's very patient with setting the screen, which goes a long way. Mm-hmm. But then also when he doesn't roll to the rim and he flares out to the elbow or to the you know 17-foot jump or wherever, he's patient there too. So a lot of times if it's not there for him and he can't, say, give it back to whoever's going downhill or find a cutter, he waits and ha- does another dribble handoff with Dylan Brooks or sometimes even Jaron Jackson Jr. And to me that goes a long way as well, just having that patience about him that's hard for a lot of rookies to do. And he's, mm-hmm. like you said earlier, just very ahead of the pack maturity-wise. And so to me, that's one thing I noticed. But, you know, you talk about choosing your lanes to hard roll and to soft roll and to pop. They talk about mid-range being dead, but his floater is essentially a mid-range shot sometimes. I mean, I, oh, yeah. you, you see him shoot it from the elbow, from the free throw line. And hitting that effectively is just very unique. It's a very unique mm-hmm. talent for the Grizzlies to have. Um I don't know if I can find a comparison in their history, just going through my head to that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, and the thing is too, like I love to get into the the philosophical debate of like the mid range because I'm personally of the belief that like 
on a scale of one to Daryl Morey, I'm like a good, I'm like a good eight. I, I, I lean that way pretty heavily, but I feel like you have to have some guys who are three level scorers and they're able to when that shot is given to you. And that's why the Oklahoma City Thunder were so good. Yes. Is that they had a bunch of guys who could hit that shot because teams were giving it to them. They're able to, to spread the floor and on nights where the three point shot wasn't falling, they're able to get a cheap look. And that, and those, and nowadays the mid range shot is a cheap look. And there's really only a few guys in the league that I would prefer to shoot that all the time, even if it's contested. And Brandon Clark's not one of them yet, but with the way his floater is, I mean, from 10 to 16 feet, Brandon Clark shoots 50, almost 55%, at 54.9, but almost 55%. And that's over essentially a point per possession, which is the type of like shots that when NBA GMs are, are building teams, they want guys who are able to get to that at least one point per possession mark to determine if certain shots are good shots. You can live with Brandon Clark floaters, and he's he shoots them well enough to where that could open up his game to maybe create extra uh, extra driving lanes or create double teams and be able to hit people off of those. And once his passing comes around, I think we're going to see a lot of that from Brandon Clark. So awesome year from, from BC and Ja Morant. I know we didn't get to talk to Ja Morant about that, but I uh, dove into that really, really deep with Joe Mullinex. Um, a couple weeks ago on our last pod, you can go back and listen to that on Apple or Spotify or wherever our audience gets their podcast. It's a really good discussion right after he won Rookie of the Year. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit MyPodcastManager.com to get started. From one set of rookies to another set of rookies, or draft pick, I should say. The the Grizzlies do not have a first rounder, but they have a 40 and this is why I, I brought you in today because you had a tweet um, from the Grizz Lead um, Twitter page at Grizz underscore Lead that you posed a question about the 40th overall pick and that I found interesting. And that is who should the Grizzlies draft at number 40? And that is Mason Jones from Arkansas, Cassius Stanley, and Xavier Tillman from Michigan State, or other. And the results. Mason Jones finished with 41%, Cassius Stanley 38 Xavier Tillman 8%, and the other, which could be, I guess, anybody else, 13%. Now, Bailey, I'll go ahead and ask you right now, if A, uh, not only you can vote on your own uh, Twitter poll, which is stupid, but if you were to be able to, what choice would you have taken? I probably would have leaned towards Mason Jones, Okay. Um, he's kind of the consensus pick. I am, I'm in a group chat with a bunch of Grizzlies fans from Twitter, and they've gone under Grizzlies scouts and spam Mason Jones. They're going under assistant coaches. Spam <laughs> like They are full-blown, full steam ahead on Mason Jones. I was not mm. very familiar with him coming mm. into this um, before right. this season, but when they started dropping his name, I went back and looked at him, checked him out, and I mean – He's the real deal. He's a good scoring guard. At Arkansas, he shot 35% from deep. Um, Mm -hmm. 
was eighth in points per game. But one thing that stuck out to me was that he led the NCAA in free throws and free throws attempted. Oh, that's good. And to me, that is a skill in and of itself to be able to get to the line and to finish at the line. He was top 15 in win shares, but he also was eighth in points produced. Oh, wow. In the NCAA. Okay. So those two things really stick out to me. I could see him as a, I don't necessarily see him as a starter, but I could see him as a really good bench guy, um, especially in the way the Grizzlies roll, kind of selfless. Mm-hmm. But he can get his buckets, also set up others. He averaged three and a half assists, a little quick-handed, average a steal and a half per game. I could see him coming in and fitting really well with our bench unit, who sometimes lack that offensive punch mm-hmm. at times. Um, I could also see him taking spot minutes from Dylan Brooks, which, depending on who you ask, is a great thing. is also a terrible thing. It kind of goes either <laughs> way, depending on the night. It's polarizing with Brooks. Right. Yeah. Dylan Brooks may be the most polarizing player of this group. I don't oh. think it's close. Without a doubt. But I, uh, I like that. Yeah. And I love the numbers you, you brought up, too, especially when it comes to free throws. And when you like when I guess you're discussing with anybody in the basketball analytic community, the, the most efficient shots, corner threes, free throws. And some teams are are able to pull games out just by getting to the free throw line and getting freebies. And here's my favorite thing about Mason Jones, too. It's not that he just he just did it last year. He developed that. His first year at Arkansas, he was shooting about eight free throw. had eight free throw attempts per 100 possessions. Last year, he went from eight to 15, which is a sizable jump in terms of free throw percentage. And while his three point percentage is only at 35, and it took a dip from 36.5 the year before, one of the barometers or stats I like to see look at to use as a barometer, rather, pardon, uh, to see if possible progression in three-point shooting can can happen is the free throw percentage. And he shot 82.6% from the free throw line last year. And at Arkansas, was a career 82% free throw shooter overall. So the the ability to move that number from 35 to getting closer to 40 in the three-point percentage uh, department is incredibly possible. I mean, his, his development with the way he's able to become more aggressive as a scorer is encouraging to to look at the free throw numbers and his three-point numbers and see that it's very, very possible for those to eventually bring each other up. In which, if you're the Grizzlies right now, one thing you're drafting for is shooting. You need better perimeter shooting. I think they're 24th or 25th in the league in three-point percentage. And if you want to be able to hang with a lot of the teams in the Western Conference, you're going to have to be able to knock those down. So Mason Jones definitely definitely fits a need and the way he's become a more natural scorer too i mean once eric musselman got there that's a big thing too is that he wasn't coached by eric musselman his first year at arkansas and he went from 25.9 points per 100 possessions to 36 in that one jump he made an incredible incredible leap in that one year and became one of the premier players in the sec so i like where your, your head's at at mason jones but that's not where i would have gone i love mason jones but I'm gonna go. I'm going against the grain here. The guy who only got eight percent, Xavier Tillman, is a player from Michigan State, and of course Cassius Winston, when they were in college, got all the love, and rightfully so. Cassius Winston, we'll get into him too, is an incredibly gifted point guard. He's your quintessential floor general college basketball yep. point guard. But Xavier Tillman, in the type of NBA today, where I mean. Me, Joel Mullinex, and I talked about this on our last pod too about Jonas Valanciunas. If you're, if there's a tradable asset in the team right now, you wouldn't mind getting rid of. 
it could be someone like Valanchunas because you can get guys like him later in this draft. This draft is very deep when it comes to good screeners, good rollers, and guys that are good finishers around the rim. And Xavier Tillman's one of that. And I think the, the Grizzlies would be incredibly lucky if he fell to 40, but I think if he did, there's no way you don't look at him. 26.5 PER, which is incredible, led the league, or not the league, the entire country, all of Division One basketball in box plus minus at 12.6. He's an elite offensive rebounder, one of the highest in this class. And over the course of his career at Michigan State, grabbed 11% of his team's misses, which sometimes can be the difference between winning and losing basketball games, especially considering the Grizzlies gotten a lot of close games this past year as well. He's an excellent finisher at the rim, uh, shoots or yeah, 68.1% at the rim, and makes an, an, a mind-numbing 79% on rolls to the basket. So if this guy's getting a good screen, he's rolling to the basket, he's almost converting that 8 out of 10 times, which is in, insanely valuable, especially if you have a point guard like John Morant and a backup like Tyus Jones, who is a, is a great ball handler, a great floor general himself. And Xavier Tillman did a lot of this in college, with Cassius Winston, who is very similar in some ways to yes. Tyus Jones. They have yes. some very similar characteristics. So I think that ability that Tillman has could translate with that type of point guard. I And, and defensively, he's already there. I mean, a guy averaged two blocks and a steal per contest, led the country in defensive box plus minus specifically. That's almost where his bread is buttered. Yes. I'm a big Xavier Tillman guy. I'm glad you put him in there because I wanted to see where – Memphis Grizzlies Twitter values Xavier Tillman. Um, what did you like about him? What was one of the reasons why I guess you included him in the poll with Mason Jones and Cassius Winston, who are, I guess, a little more highly touted at this point? Because I'm, I'm with you. I would say he's my second target behind Mason Jones. I think, you know, you get another guy who's a great defender, may not be your starter per se, but you mm-hmm. have him coming off the bench as a great defensive big. That's never going to hurt your team. And again, one of the biggest knocks against Jared Jackson Jr. is his rebounding. So if you surround him with other bigs who can specialize in rebounds, you don't have to focus so much on developing him to that level. I don't mm-hmm. think Jared Jackson Jr. is a natural-born rebounder. To right. me, he doesn't seem like he, – he fights more for offensive boards than defensive boards. He's rather mm-hmm. he's the one who uses athleticism, try to get a tip, just try to snag over somebody, then grabbing a body and boxing out. Xavier Tillman's the opposite. He's a little bit right. stout. He's a little small, like shorter, but he's a big body, grabbing somebody and just throwing them out of the way and grabbing a rebound. And to me, I think that's a skill that the Grizzlies will need, especially if they do decide to move JV. They'll be missing a big gap there. Grabbing mm-hmm. somebody like that at 40 would be an excellent choice. And then again, you talk about how sound he is defensively. And one thing that I think Xavier Tillman is better at than people give him credit for is his passing. He's got mm-hmm. a really good feel for passing for a big. He averaged three assists, which doesn't sound like much, but at a college game. Oh, yeah. For a big, I mean, the next big that's on um, that I heard a lot about was Vernon Carey. He averaged less than one. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. And so, to give you a little more context to that, he averages five, uh, over five assists per 100 possessions. Right. And that's, that's, that is a really good number for a big, especially, again, in a kind of more free-flowing offense like the Grizzlies are trying to establish a high tempo I think that would be another great fit um not necessarily a need yet but it would definitely be one in the future and I think we can go ahead and fill that hole um especially if we like I said we decide to move JV which probably is our best trade piece especially after the year he had 
Um, but I also don't see the front office rushing to move him because he's been such a valuable presence. But I think Xavier Tillman would help fill what he leaves if they decide to do so. Oh, for sure. And another thing, and one thing I've, I've actually heard, it, it's not like I don't have any tangible evidence of this right now, but and you, and you can even though tell by like watching the games, but I, I have some sources that are in and around the Big Ten in basketball. And the thing they tell me is, that this guy has an incredible basketball basketball IQ. I mean, is in terms of just like smarts, this guy absolutely has it. And he's a Tom Izzo basketball player. Tom Izzo right. coaches some of the smartest players in college basketball every year. You got to be that kind of player to to play at Michigan State. And Jaron Jackson was one of those guys too. Yes, but Xavier Tillman's one of those guys who just has a basketball IQ that is completely off the charts, and that's incredibly valuable. And another thing, I guess with him too is I mean and, and the shot obviously is a, a point of concern he only shoots about 26% from three doesn't have great range and he only shoots about 66% from the free throw line so the potential for growth at that three point number is is very low but at the spot you're drafting him you're drafting role players essentially at the spot I think Xavier Tillman is, is a solid spot or solid pick at that number, and if he's there, I mean, shoot for I wouldn't think twice if I'm the Memphis Grizzlies. But another guy on this list, too, Cassius Winston. And, of course, the more celebrated or the most celebrated player of the three that you you posted in terms of his time at Michigan State, um, like I say, he's the quintessential floor general. Over the past three years, he was averaging almost seven assists per game. And you mean you both talked about it earlier, college basketball stats in terms of just per game stats, you kind of have to take them with a grain of salt or with extra context because they're usually a little lower. So 6.8 assists per game in a three-year stretch at a place like Michigan State where you're playing in the Big Ten is incredibly impressive to me. And he's become one thing that he's progressed at a lot, which I think has given him the jump to being just a good, a great college player into a good pro prospect, not a great, but a good one at least, is that his three-point shot has really has really gone up. He shoots about 43% from three, and he shoots just as good off the dribble. He makes up 58% um, off screens as well. I think he's about 48, 48% off the dribble, 58% off screens, and he's 47% on spot-ups, which would translate a little bit better as well. And the main thing is the pick-and-roll ball handling. I mean... What he's got, pick and roll wise, is got incredible instinct and the, that three level scoring where he can score pretty pretty well around there. It's not his greatest attribute because he doesn't have like this mind blowing size or uh, this exceptional athletic ability, but he shoots incredible floaters. And going back to the the Brandon Clark discussion, it's great for our point guards to have too because you can't play drop coverage if. Cassius Winston's coming off, you know, a ball screen. He shoots about 44% or makes 44% of his floaters. And to give you a comparison to other players that are going to be around that same draft range that were solid college players, Marcus Howard from Marquette, who I consider a great college player, shot about 38% uh, from floaters. And Nico Mannion only made about 37% of his, a guy who has been seen as late lottery to late first, early second round, uh, the freshman from Arizona. What do you see when you watch Cassius Winston play? And where do you think he fits in for the Memphis Grizzlies as they are to take him at 40? I think Cassius Winston 
on Memphis would be similar to Xavier Tillman as you're going to fill a role after it becomes available. Again, right. I see him as a really good floor general. Like you mentioned, everything you said, I agree with. He's a good scorer. He's improved in that regard. He can get to the rim a little bit, and I think people give him credit for But he's also limited enough to where he's not someone you can play big minutes. He's going to fill that Tyus Jones role. If he can become the smart, crafty defender that Tyus Jones is, he can fill mm-hmm. that spot better. I do worry about him on that end of the floor. But I think his IQ is very high. When it comes to making the right pass at the right time, running the pick and roll, choosing when to shoot, when to pass, and when to not. So I think all of those are very good attributes for Cassius Winston. Um, so I think, you know, he, he'll definitely be able to contribute to a team. I'm just not sure how I feel about the fit on our team. I'd like Cassius Stanley more than I like Cassius Winston for really? our team. Yeah, I think he's more of a project. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a little further off, but explosive athlete to me has legitimate two-way potential just to add another vertical threat to Grizz next gen. Um, I think he could step into that. I think I think Stanley will develop a better perimeter game than people think. People mm-hmm. think about him being a lot of high-flying into the rim. I think he'll develop a perimeter game. Maybe not long-term starter, but spot starter. Seventh mm. man, I think he could become that. But to me, Winston has a very limited ceiling with us, even more so than he would in the league already. Um, just just my personal opinion. Yeah, Cassius Stanley's an interesting one, though, too, just because he is on the younger side. Obviously, he's a one-and-done at Duke, but the athleticism is off the charts with him, and that's kind of the biggest difference between the, the two Cassius's here is um, not just the experience and I guess the type of play because they're different players as well, but Cassius Stanley just has this mind-numbing athletic ability where he is just he, – he plays above the rim at all times, and he's a little bit more of a pro- project, like you said, because he is so young, and he did make you know some mistakes at Duke, but he wasn't, I guess, burdened with a lot of control of the offense as that was pretty much Trey Jones' job. But, I mean, that and at 40, that's a good risk to take, and this is where like it gets tricky for the NBA draft is in the second round, you're mostly drafting for role players or just guys that you can get on the floor. But if there's someone that had some big question marks, this is the place where you can totally take risks, like the Denver Nuggets did with Bol Bol. Do do I think Bol Bol can be a NBA rotation player? Of course. Does he have the potential to be a really good player in the NBA and one to help them win in the future? Absolutely. And we, the thing is, like, you just never know because there's a lot of red flags coming out. Bull Bull's um, future in the NBA is about as um, is about as easy to predict as, I guess, a super eight or a, uh, an eight ball, you know, a magic eight ball. Right. Like it, it, it's a roll of the dice or, or whatever analogy you want to use. But you can do that in the second round because it's where the margin for error is. And Cassius Stanley, I think, falls into that category, too, because there's a lot of unknown with him yep. because he is so young, too. Um, outside of Cassius Stanley, is there any other players where you had, you know, yet the option of other that you would have included in other and that you might have been looking for um, in the comments below that tweet? So for me, I just really put other just to see where everyone else's mind was at. Um, I was really locked into one of those three myself. Uh, some other options that I got were Vernon Carey, if he's available. I I see a lot of people preferring Isaiah Joe 
over Mason Jones. Oh, I do love Isaiah Joe. Yeah. Um, I, I also got some other forward guard players like Tevin Brown, Jordan uh, Nwora from Louisville, and Elijah Hughes were all names that I saw. So essentially the same thing, a forward guard type player who has a decent shot, can score a little bit. Um, of those guys that I saw, they would all be solid choices as well. Um, they all have good cases. To me, Isaiah Joe kind of stepped down this year as opposed to Mason Jones stepping up. Right. Um, Definitely regressed. Um, a little bit, but, you know, I from what I saw from him in his first year, I see the potential there as well. Um, I think he would be more of a role player, a little mm-hmm. more one-dimensional. I think he's turned into like a J.J. Redick style, just, you know, a strict shooter because he, he upped his three-point attempts from like eight to almost 11 yeah. from his first I mean, year to his I mean, second I mean, He's not afraid to chuck it. I mean, and, that guy has some confidence when it, when it comes to shooting the basketball. Isaiah Joe has never seen a three-point shot he doesn't like. And we already have one of those guys on the team. So <laughs> do we really want another? You know, I'm, I'm, it's kind of it's kind of hesitant yeah. for me there. But those are the other people I got in the comments pretty heavily. Uh, Tevin Brown sticks out just as a former teammate of John Morant. Um, I also see. I also think it's interesting that people are saying Isaiah Joe over Mason Jones, just from what I've seen in my personal opinions. Some people say they think Isaiah Joe has better mechanics and it will translate better. So everybody has their opinion, but those are a lot of the others that I got. Mm-hmm. Do you have an opinion on any of those guys? I I like Isaiah Joe just because I think it fills the need. I I think where, where Isaiah Joe is, I think he shot like, what, 43% his first year at Arkansas? Yes. And then Insane. it regressed to about 36 where Isaiah Joe actually is as an NBA three-point shooter is somewhere in between there, which you'll take. He takes a lot of deep threes, and he's not afraid to take a lot of threes. So, to, like, to me, I mean, you know what he is in volume, and he's incredibly streaky at times. Right. I like that just because it does kind of feel, feel a need. I think one of the Grizzlies' blare, or glaring weaknesses is three-point shooting. And at this point in the draft, he's one of the better options you have there because there's there's not many of those. And this isn't a draft where you're going to get an elite ceiling of a three-point shooter. I'm not saying Isaiah Joe has an elite ceiling as a player, but I'm just saying as as a three-point shooter, you know, Desmond Bain from TCU is probably going to go in the first round. I'd be really surprised if he didn't. He's kind of risen up a lot of draft boards recently. And that's a guy who's a a 40-plus percent three-point shooter. Um, in the Big 12 against really good competition, I think he'll get snatched up in the first round, or at least he should. Aaron Neesmith, who was almost a 50% three-point shooter, yes. uh, uh, eight three-point attempts a game at Vanderbilt, a guy who I covered here in Nashville for a while, is going to be a lottery pick, or at least should. Um, there's not going to have a lot of those guys that are just mind-numbingly great three-point shooting prospects right now. You could do the... Um, buy low on Isaiah Joe because he did regress a little bit. And this is assuming Isaiah Joe stays in the NBA draft. I know it's kind of been iffy if he even enters or not, uh, which for him could be a good or bad thing. It's, it's a personal thing for a lot of these players. So I, I like the potential of the potential to be able to fill in a role that is needed for the Grizzlies with Isaiah Joe. Um, I don't know if I like Tevin Brown as an NBA prospect just because. I mean, I, there, there's just a, a lot in terms of translating his skill set to the NBA um, that I, I don't know if it's really sustainable. Um, one guy that I am really intrigued by, though, no one has mentioned, and I hope that he does, just so the Grizzlies can think about it, is Grant Riller from College of Charleston. I have been incredibly intrigued. 
by this guy here. He's on the little bit of the older side, and I like a lot of the older college basketball players too because I feel like their habits are more set in stone. A lot yep. of these guys kind of are what they are once you hit 22, 23 years old, and Grant Riller's a little on that older side, so you know the type of habits that he has, and he's still a coachable player because he did progress really well throughout his four years at college at Charleston. Shifty score, about 23, 23 points a game this past year at College of Charleston. Incredibly efficient. He's in the 30 PER club, which I just, like, that's one of my favorite stats. And if you're in a 30 PER as a guard in college basketball, then you're a pretty efficient scorer. And yeah, I want to say, phenomenal. yeah, it, it, it's fantastic. And that's even if you're in a small conference like the one that College of Charleston is in. And it kind of reminds me of John Conchar, a guy who's on the Grizzlies right now, who had an incredibly high PER as a guard at Indiana Purdue Fort Wayne University. Um, there, there's some similar stuff there. He shot about 61% true shooting. And while averaging 23 points per contest, he's a walking bucket. He can shoot all three levels. He has an incredible step back. Like what, In my personal opinion, I think Killian Hayes might be the best player in this entire draft. And the one thing that sets him apart of guys like LaMelo Ball or Anthony Edwards is how good his step-back jumper is yeah. and how he is, he's creating so much space on that one move. Grant Riller does the exact same thing. He can create a ton of space. I'm not going to say it's Ginobili or Harden-esque or Doncic-esque just yet, but the fundamentals are there. It's crisp. It's clean. It gets his shot off. And of anyone in the second round in terms of guards, there might not be a better player in terms of creating his own shot than Grant Riller. And in the pick and roll, he's when he shoots in a pick and roll, he's about 1.11 points per possession, which was in the 97th percentile in all of college hoops. And his jumper, while he only shoots about 36% from three, his form... I think is fantastic. Uh, the form is one of the strengths that he has. And so it, it, it's fixable. And at the free throw line, he shoots about 82.7%. So like 83, if you round it up and it's gotten better almost every year. Um, the last three years, it went from 72 to 80 to 82. So that is sizable growth within the last couple of years. His passing still needs some work and defensively, Sometimes the effort might not have been there, but I think you can attribute a lot of that because of the load that he had to carry on the College of Charleston team. Um, his usage is incredibly high. I mean, he was 30-plus usage the last two years, and this past year it was almost at 34. So he had a very large load offensively to have to carry. Obviously, he gets in the NBA. He's not going to have to have usage quite like that or anything near it. But I do like, in terms of a diamond in the rough pick, I've been very intrigued by Grant Riller. I uh I actually had not heard of Grant Ruler until you said that. So I, I pulled up his sports reference page, just looking at his box score, and you're right, I see a lot of improvement over his years. He was, uh one thing that stuck out to me was his five rebounds as a guard, um, at any level. Aggressive, that, yeah. Very aggressive rebounder. Yeah, that's a skill. Um he upped his uh I see where the uses has changed. Mm-hmm. Um he's upped his field goal attempts while maintaining a, around a fifty percent percentage. Uh, his three-point shots been consistently shooting about four a game and hitting one and a half or so. All those look good. The main thing that sticks out to me, or two things really, other than the rebounds, 1.6 steals. I mean, that's that's a that's a plus from a guard, even if he's not 
the greatest on ball defender, whether he's playing passing lanes, or just being quick handed, or just being smart, you know, picking his spots and grabbing the ball. But the assist to turnovers sticks out to me. It's about a four to three mm-hmm. ratio, which is a little high. But again, if, you know, looking at his usage, like you pointed out, that it's kind of to be expected, especially if he's, you know, the guy on a team at that guard position. So that's a, that's a fun pick. I like I, said, I hadn't heard of him before, so I would love to see. Oh yeah, dude. I I have I have been the Grant Riller propaganda pusher. Um, for a lot for this entire you know I guess once college basketball season ended and I got to finally dive into a lot of these players, especially during quarantine periods. Uh, I, I do like to look for guys like in the second round that could help teams, and Grant Riller is one of those guys uh, that could help a lot of teams right now. And I really do think, and like especially the Grizzlies, like one of the things that happened when they're in the bubble when Tyus Jones was hurt is that they didn't have a secondary uh, or a primary ball handler when John ja Morant came out of the game to be able to create his own shot and keep things afloat. I uh, love DeAnthony Melton, but really struggled in the bubble. I think Grant Riller is one of those guys that can create the same amount of shots that DeAnthony Melton could, but complete them. I mean, and it hits them at a, at a higher rate. And as a guy who's, I guess, more used to carrying an offensive load like that, but I'm, I'm trying to get that, I guess, uh, that moved on uh, Grizz Twitter, get the name Grant Riller, um, I guess, lo- or lobby for it and propagandize it as much as I can, kind of the way a lot of them are with Mason Jones. But he's a sleeper right there. And also, this guy that I'm about to mention right now, too, It's I've seen him drafted as high as late lottery. I've seen him drafted as low in some mocks below the 40 spot. And that is Paul Reed from DePaul. I I love the I love the the uh, the measurables with Paul Reed and his defensive ability. Defensively, he's about as good as a prospect. I think Tankathon their mock draft has him going forty two. But guy's a, a solid screener, but an elite defender at that yes. position. Yes, very um, good defensively. Amazing defensively, and that's he's always intrigued me because of his defensive ability. Per 36, he's blocking about three shots per game, and he alters a whole lot more too than than just that. So there's there's a lot of potential there with Paul Reed. I haven't watched him as much as I would like to, but there, I mean, just just looking at you know looking at the stats, and there's some games where he like stretched out. He's only a 30 percent three point shooter, but had some games where he was three for four against Iowa. Uh, one of the better teams that he got to play against all year long against um, someone like Luca Garza, who is a solid player, goes for 25 and 12 and is three or four from three, 10 to 14 from the field, and is getting a lot of easy looks. Oh, and by the way, had four steals and two blocks in that game, too. He had a lot of those, had an eight block game against Minnesota. So this guy's playing good competition and is just an elite level rim protector in this class specifically. That might be worth taking a flyer on if he's down this low in the draft, just because you're not going to find a shot blocker like him at this point. Absolutely, I, I uh, I've heard of him and I've seen a lot of his stuff. Um, one thing that points that I would like to point out is his strength of schedule compared to some of these other guys was pretty good. He hit around a nine, uh, which always sticks out, especially when you're looking at dudes late in the draft. Fifteen and eleven with two steals and two and a half blocks, but also. An assist and a half, solid shooting number. He shot forty-eight or seventy-four percent. Pardon me, from the free throw line. Like you said, you look at a thirty-one three-point, but he's only shooting two a game, and he has those games where he shoots well. 
another highly versatile forward, 6'9", 220, long arms. I mean, I definitely think he would fit well with what we're trying to do here too. It's it's interesting to think about because I talked to some people on Twitter as well. Like The Grizzlies are kind of like starting their rebuild, kind of how the Celtics did, mm-hmm. looking at just versatility across the board, trying to be semi-positionless. And, I mean, this guy would fit very well into what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And one thing I love talking about this point in the draft because, like, like we mentioned earlier, that it is perfect for role players. But just last night, we were recording here on Thursday night, September twenty or September Wednesday night, September sixteenth. I don't even know what day it is. I had to look at my computer. But it's Wednesday, September sixteenth, and last night a second round pick, what forty fifth or forty sixth overall, Nikola Jokic just pulled off an improbable three one upset with Jamal Murray and the Denver Nuggets over the two-seeded Los Angeles Clippers. So there are people at this point in the draft that can help you, and who knows, maybe they hit. And they're not all going to be Nikola Jokic, but you never know. That's what makes the NBA draft not only a crapshoot, but also a load of fun. Bailey, thank you for joining me. Tell everybody where they can find your work that's listening right now. So again, as we mentioned earlier, I'm from The Lead, where basketball coverage site, I run the Grizz Lead branch on Twitter that's at Grizz underscore lead. Uh, my personal Twitter is at Sir underscore Richmond 20. It'll be linked on any of my pieces on the Grizzly account. You can find me there. But I mean, that's where you find us. Check us out. We have coverage on 22 of the 30 teams at the current moment and a draft page that'll fall in line with this podcast pretty well. So you can check us out there. TL Sports Media or yeah. The Lead SM, pardon me, we changed our ad recently. The Lead SM is our home Twitter, so you can find us there. That is fantastic. Bailey, excellent stuff. Always love talking NBA draft. Always talking, uh, love talking Grizzlies basketball. It's been a pleasure. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. And you've been listening to the Grizz in Grind podcast here on the Hoop Heads Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to the Grizz and Grind podcast here on the Hoop Heads Podcast Network. This is Elijah Campbell saying so long, and we hope to have you back again soon for more of the best Grizzlies talk east of the Mississippi. We'll see you around.